I am so excited to tell you that I'm finally reopening the doors to my Partnerships Masterclass course, which is absolutely everything you need to confidently build successful partnerships. And successful partnerships unlock an entirely untapped revenue stream for your business through sponsorships, while collaborative partnerships can see you reaching hundreds of thousands of potential customers without monetary spend. So they have the power to both make you money via a whole new revenue stream for your business and save you money with your marketing activity, which is so awesome. I have run this course quite exclusively in the past with really small cohorts of business owners, agency owners, and marketers. So I would say it's incredibly valuable if you're one of these three types of fabulous people looking to build a partnership skill set and revenue stream, or you're looking to offer partnerships as a service to your clients. This course is the most accessible way you can work with me personally as well. And while you have a lifetime access to the course content and obviously lifetime access to the skills and relationships you build as part of this course, you're also really not thrown in the deep end at all because I keep the cohort small on purpose so that you get that mentorship and support from me throughout the whole thing. So we're going to get you so excited about the opportunities ahead for your business, super clear on your growth strategy and how you're going to build meaningful and pivotal relationships. It's going to be so good. And doors open on the 11th of August. They're only open for 10 days though. So make sure you're on the wait list so that you don't miss out. We're actually kicking the cohort off on um, August 22nd. So immediately after the doors open, pretty much <laughs> the course begins and the doors are closed again. So you want to be on that wait list so that you don't miss out. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can access that. And you'll also nab some wait list bonuses as well if you're on there. So I can't wait to see you there. Uh, thanks so much for listening and I'll let you get into the episode now. Hello and welcome to Stop, Collaborate and Listen. We are a podcast about marketing, collaboration and business and we're brought to you by Collabasaurus.com, the matchmaker for brands. Hey everyone, welcome back to Stop, Collaborate and Listen. I'm your host, Jess Rufus, and for everyone who's new here, a big, warm welcome and hello. Uh, Today we are talking about customer feedback and complaint handling. I had an experience this week as a customer that got me thinking about basic business metrics in relation to feedback and complaints. And you know what it made me realize? That how you handle feedback or complaints can make or break your business. Now, for someone who absolutely hasn't taken feedback well in the past, um, that's a big thing for me to admit. But in this episode, I'm going to talk you through two big stats that might knock you off your seat um, in relation to customer experience. Um, And I really want to showcase the best way you can handle feedback and complaints based on a little like story about my experience this week. And then I've got four steps for becoming a feedback slash complaints handling legend. So it's a bit of a bigger episode than normal because I got so excited writing this episode that um, it was just so much fun and I found stat after stat after stat. I just wanted to include all of it. So without further ado, let's get into it. Okay, I'm going to kick off with the two big stats. So the first one is bad experiences are more shareable than good experiences. So 54% of customers share bad experiences with more than five people they know, while only 33% share their good experiences. And that's massive. It goes to show that feedback and complaints handling is not only a customer service problem, but a marketing problem. 
The second one is that feedback and complaints represent the tip of the iceberg. So according to the White House Office of Consumer Affairs, for every customer who bothers to complain, 26 customers remain silent. So that means that only 4% of dissatisfied customers actually complain, while 96% will never let you know that there was a problem. So it pays to pay attention. Now, I'm the kind of person who often doesn't complain if there's a problem. I won't send a cold coffee back or ask for a free movie ticket if there's a bunch of teenagers yelling throughout the film. I absolutely normally fit into that 96% of people who never say anything, but I'll talk about it to five people that I know. (laughs) And in the past, I've absolutely taken it upon myself um, to help a business lose customers if I've had a bad experience. And I tell you what, that does actually work in reverse. I'm not a complete bad human, (laughs) I swear, but I'm the majority. I think I represent the majority. So what happened when I did complain? And this is where the story comes in from this week. Um, The story itself is probably a little bit boring, but the lessons are there. I'll try and keep it short. And it's from my latest hair appointment. So my old hairdresser has sadly moved back to England. And Anna, if you're listening, I miss you so much and I hope you're doing well. (laughs) Uh, But I decided to stick with the same salon because they had all of my color information on file. And they're just generally a fabulous bunch of humans. So long story short, I got my hair done, a big toner was put in and I walked out feeling so dark. It was a dark blonde that was kind of mousy, I suppose, as two of my friends said when they saw me straight after. So now $300 and three hours later at the hairdresser, that's devastating. And I know it's a first world problem, but to anyone, that is a lot of money and a lot of time. So the next day, I awkwardly grappled with the prospect of either living for the next nine weeks with hair I wasn't happy with or being super awkward and calling the salon. And in the end, after much anxiety, I called the salon. And much to my surprise, it was all a completely awesome experience. I was met with so much care and positivity and they were quick to fit me in for an appointment to fix it, free of charge. And um, I came back from that appointment today and I'm just so, so happy with it. She was super easygoing about the whole thing, intent on getting me a result I was happy with and made me feel comfortable as I internally sort of squirmed at how um, terrible I felt to come back and to complain at all. And it was the perfect handling of feedback slash complaint. So getting into the numbers and the business side of things, a really important metric to track in any business is lifetime value or LTV. And this is basically how much a customer will spend with you in their lifespan as a customer. So for Optus, for example, they're charging monthly phone bills and would constantly have the same client at maybe, I don't know, $70 a month for five years. So their lifetime value on average would be around $4,200. That's like five years by, you know, $70 a month. And this is totally hypothetical, guys. I'm just pulling this out of nowhere. So using the hairdresser example and me as a customer, I've been going there for a year already, spending about $300 a quarter. So my yearly spend is about $1,200 and I'm likely to not move house for another year or two or move salons, meaning that my projected lifetime value for the salon is around $3,600. So to tweak up my hair, that hairdresser spent one and a half hours with me, plus to use a little bit of product. So my guesstimate is that the cost to the business in order to not only fix my hair, but create an experience that means I'll both share and come back was around $150 cost to the business to them. So effectively it cost them $150 to make another 
two and a half thousand dollars out of me over the next two years. And this brings me back to the age old marketing quote that it's up to five times more expensive to acquire a new customer than it is to retain an old one. So increasing customer retention by 5%, for example, can increase profits from 25 to 95%. The success rate of selling to a customer you already have is just so, so much higher than selling to someone brand new. So based on all of that, you know, I think it's becoming really clear that how you handle complaints and feedback is so important because it really does lead back to not only marketing, but retention statistics that ultimately all will tie back to your sales metrics and revenue. So here are my four steps for becoming a complaints or feedback handling boss. Number one, understand the impact which you've basically already known from listening to this episode. So now that you know how shareable bad experiences are, you you know how complaints you hear represent a tip of the iceberg, and you also know that it's five times less expensive to retain an existing customer than it is to acquire a new one. Tip number two is to look at the numbers. So get to know your costs and opportunities. Really digging into your lifetime value and customer acquisition costs are super key. And this will help you see how you can handle complaints and negative feedback from a financial and resources perspective. So that example I gave about the hairdresser, you know, it cost them as a business $150 to make an extra potentially, you know, two and a half grand out of me um, as a customer. Understand that from a business perspective you know, ahead of time so that, you know, all of your staff and stuff like that know what they're able to do from a financial perspective um, and resources perspective when handling complaints and feedback. Number three is recognize that it's not personal. I think very rarely um, is a complaint or feedback about your business a personal attack on you. But I think a lot of our reactions to complaints come from knee jerk sort of gut twisting defense modes that come from fight or flight when there is a personal attack on you. So there's some mindset work to be done with all of that um, to not take complaints personally and react in a way that it's defensive because that doesn't help anybody, especially the client. And number four is to review your structured approach for staff to ensure there's a clear plan and for yourself as well. So Do your employees know what they can and cannot offer in these situations? Can they handle complaints well? That's really, really important. So again, you know, if only a handful of people who've had a bad experience actually say something, how are those being handled so that you can optimize the opportunity to not only retain them as a client, but then create a memorable experience that they'll share with five of their friends. So I do love the odd mystery shopper kind of scenario that as a business owner, you can set up to see how things are handled and whether you're happy for handling to be the reflection of your business reputation um, and also not missing opportunities to retain clients as well. So don't be afraid to set up the odd mystery shopper situation um, with like a friend of yours or a trusted client um, and just let them know the situation. And last but not least, there is a proviso with all of this. I can 100% say with certainty that the customer is not always right. And sometimes you do just need to fire clients. That had to be said (laughs) because every now and again, you just get this one-off person. But, you know, it's a minority case. But do remember that, you know, they're not always, always right. And if you've just got a nightmare person coming at you constantly for things, it's not worth it. 
Okay, so I hope you got some pointers from today's episode and started to think about how your business approaches responses to complaints and feedback. And I would love to hear from you over on Instagram at Collabosaurus or with a review on our podcast app as well. Um, Those help us reach so many more people and I really, really appreciate it. And of course, I'm always open to feedback if you have some for me as well. Thanks so much for tuning in, guys. I'll see you soon.